Welcome everyone uh, to opening night in the NBA. We're happy to be recording on what is going to become to be known uh, Gordon Hayward Day, I think. My goodness. Ugh. Um, what, a, Ugh. what a terrible injury. Um, but uh, that aside, it's, it's opening night in the NBA. Some great games happening tonight. And tomorrow night, the big night for the Detroit Pistons and the Detroit Pistons fan, two of which are with me tonight, Jamie and Jacob. Jamie, introduce yourself to the people, and then Jacob, you after that. What up, what up? It's Jamie Delancey, a.k.a. Jamie Delaney, a.k.a. Uh, Team Henny Ellison Captain, uh, a.k.a. Luke Kennard's biggest fan, ready to talk some Pistons. Hey, I'm Jacob. <laughs> yeah, that was that was perfect, Jacob. I liked it. So uh, we're happy to be talking some Pistons, uh, and we're going to dive in right off the bat and talk about uh, some optimism, right? So as we were talking about before we hit the record button, there seems to be a little bit of negativity in Pistons land right now. You see it in the blog comments. You see it on Twitter. And maybe you see a little bit of it in this group of three of us here tonight. But let's try to start with some optimism. Best case scenario for the Detroit Pistons this season Let's talk win totals. Let's talk about things like who needs to play well in order to forget this best case scenario to happen. How likely is it and all that kind of stuff. Jamie, I'm going to start with you. What do you think the best case scenario is for the Pistons this year? Best case scenario is a four seed or, I mean, after the injury tonight, a three seed, honestly. Um, I think in order for that to happen, you got to have at least a minimum of three guys play absolutely out of their minds for this year. Um, and it's got to be some combination of Reggie Jackson, Andre Jumman, and then either Avery Bradley exceeding expectations or Tobias Harris taking the jump that uh, Pistons Twitter Nation believes he can as the primary scoring option and leader of the offense. I think I think that's just, there's no way you get to 45 wins, which I think is the ceiling of this team, without all three of those things happening. Um, other than that, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little nervous, but we won't get to that just yet. Cool. Jacob, what about you? How do you think the Pistons can get to 45 wins or something like that in your best case scenario? Yeah, it's, I'd say best case is somewhere in the 45 to 48 range, and they land among, you know, Washington, Miami, maybe the Haywardless Boston team in that sort of two to five range in the top of the East. I think the main reason, the main way that they can get there is defense. I don't really see this turning into an elite offense by any means, but, you know, they've, they've ranked in the top 15 in defense these past couple of years under Van Gundy. And if you see a step forward from Drummond, if you see a step forward from Stanley Johnson, then I would see how an elite defense could come together, a top sort of seven defense. And then if Reggie Jackson can bounce back and kind of keep the offense afloat, then I think, you know, 48 wins could be in play as kind of the best-case scenario. And Reggie is already pretty optimistic. I'm looking at his Instagram right now, and he just posted one day away, zero F-words given. Hashtag dynamic duo, hashtag I can't wait, and it's a picture of him and Drummond. So... At least the, pl- okay. the at least the players are amped. They're they're excited. You're not even amped enough to actually say the f word on the podcast, though. You know, I don't <laughs> know what our rating is in the iTunes store. I I got I got a little guy that I'll probably listen to this with in the car. I got to keep his his young ears safe. <laughs> yeah, there's no earmuffs warning. I don't think in our description. <laughs> so. so so defense, right? This this is interesting to me. Um, because I'm kind of of the opinion that their offense needs to get better for them to take the next step. Jacob, give us your starting five, first of all, because I, I don't know. I, I think it's probably a little, pretty much settled after the preseason. But give us who you think the starting five is going to be, who you wish the starting five is going to be. And obviously those are the five guys who are going to get the bulk of the minutes. What is it about that group that makes you think they're capable of being a pretty good defensive lineup? Well, they're going to be pretty conservative first and foremost. They're going to sta- They're going to come back. They're going to play drop back with their bigs. They're going to have a lot of height and strength on the floor, and they're they're going to focus on defensive rebounding instead of kind of being aggressive and trying to get out in transition. I think that's kind of the Van Gundy model defensively. I, I see the starting five as it's going to be Reggie Jackson, Avery Bradley, Harris, uh, Lure, and Drummond. Oh. 
I was hoping. Well, what what was it in the preseason again? Am I just totally off on that? No, I mean there were like five, six different starting lamps. I think it they seems like they're. Game, I mean, but... to me, I would love to see Stanley Johnson get in there, but I, I'm starting to think that that's just not going to happen based on you know the writing's kind of on the wall there. I think he could get in there for sure, but I think they're going to kind of start a little bigger with that. I mean, that that's what I see as the starting lineup for now. I don't know if I, you guys disagree with me, but... I think they... I think Stanley's in the starting lineup only because I think it's the quickest way for them to become that defensive juggernaut that you're kind of describing them as, as becoming. Um, because I think so then Bradley... they bring and, Harris then off yeah. the bench? No, I think Harris plays the four, which I, I'm not super amped on, but... I think Bradley and Johnson um, guarding the two best guys on the opposing team is your best best chance um, at being that like defensive powerhouse you kind of describe them as being. I just I I think Lure is more serviceable playing with the reserves. I think he'll have better better chance at being successful if he's playing with the bench unit. I just, I just don't see him faring well against many starting units. Yeah, and I agree with that. I I think. Stanley Johnson needs to be with the starters. He can't continue to think that he needs to be an offensive linchpin on the bench no, unit. That's not at all. That I, needs to go away as fast as possible. He needs yeah. to focus on, you know, like you said, defending, maybe hitting an open shot if he's got to take one. I, I don't think his shot is broken. He's just really taking all the wrong paths offensively currently. I would love to see Stanley Johnson be a guy who averages 10 to 12 points a game max like I never want to see him over that I think he's got to know that his bread and butter and the way he's going to be successful on this team is defense first and I think he's from what I've read and from what I've seen I think he's finally getting that um I think last year he tried to force his offense a little too much and I think he kind of learned his lesson so I I think he's got to be in the starting lineup if you want to build this as a defensive powerhouse but that's just that's just my thought. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, when I said lure in the starting lineup, that was more like me thinking what I think they actually will do rather than what I would do. I would definitely have Stanley in there. But, you know, people are pretty mad at me on Twitter for suggesting that he can play the four, so who who knows what. Do you think, who do knows you think how that's actually shaken out? Do you think SVG still has Stanley on a short leash? I, I'm guessing he does, yeah. I mean, I, I've sort of interacted with Stanley Johnson a little bit during his times in the D league. He doesn't seem like a guy who is particularly, how shall I say this takes extremely well to uh, tough love. Ah. I'm not exactly sure what the best person to sort of reach out to him would be, but I can definitely sort of see how that relationship has been awkward. (laughs) And and, yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't think that Van Gundy is necessarily completely blameless here oh totally i mean that's the mo on van gundy is he has a he has a history of burning players um and and ruining i mean he ruined a franchise for burning a player so i i totally see where you're coming from i mean yeah i i'm with you i i don't really know what he's accomplishing at this point by kind of doing these dick measuring things with the other state like who who's got who's the better stanley on the yeah. team you know they, yeah they got that whole thing going at some point you got to see if the guy can play you got to give him a real chance otherwise he's just gonna end up i think being a decent wing player for somebody else yeah so we were talking about best case scenario i, I agree with a lot of what's been said i think um, I've been waiting patiently to see if Keith Langley drops something in terms of the rotation sort of being solidified or the starting lineup being solidified. I haven't seen anything yet. And again, we're recording this on Tuesday night about 930. Um, I think the thing that's interesting to me is do Reggie Jackson and Tobias Harris figure it out together, right? Ooh. After the Tobias trade two seasons ago, it looked like it was going to work, right? Yeah. I mean, the offense was hitting. Tobias was exceptional, playing some of the best basketball of his career. And then last season, I mean, obviously we all know what happened. We don't have to rehash it all. Uh, but they never figured it out. And, and when you looked at sort of the lineup numbers, the most productive lineups all included Ish Smith and Tobias Harris. 
and not Reggie Jackson. So to me, um, if you're committed to Reggie Jackson as the starting point guard, which I think if he's healthy, Van Gundy is going to be committed to him because this is the Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson pick and roll. That's the staple of the starting five. Then I think the question about who starts at the four is determined by do, uh, do Ish and Tobias work better together or do Reggie and Tobias work better together? Uh, but, but in either case, sort of my best case scenario, I, I mean, I largely agree. I think 45 wins is a somewhat realistic, not crazy, totally out of the realm of possibility best case scenario for this team. I think 48 wins would be I, everything has to go perfectly over the course of 82 games for them to get there. Uh, but I think this team can, can be a little bit of a pest. I think, again, the Gordon Hayward injury, we'll see how the Celtics respond to that in terms of their roster, in terms of their strategy. But certainly the, the top half of the East just got shaken up, and, and there is a slim chance the Pistons can find their way, their way into that. I think uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the most important players for the Pistons. But to me, small forward is, is a big part of that best-case scenario coming to fruition. I, I don't think Stanley has proven. Last year, I, honestly, last year the question was, does he belong in an NBA rotation or not, right? I mean, yeah. his production, shooting, it, it took a big step back. This year, just by necessity, he's going to get minutes. And if he takes a step forward from where he was in his rookie season, then I think the best-case scenario for the Pistons becomes a little bit more realistic. But if he doesn't, they have a real big problem at small forward. And they can't just slide Tobias in there and hope it all works out. He's a tweener. He's a little bit of an awkward fit at either four, at the three or the four, depending on your matchups. So I think Stanley Johnson is pivotal in terms of the Pistons getting there. So, you know, best case scenario, 45 wins. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you guys with that. And I'm going to say, in terms of how likely it is, I'm going to say that's about a 30% chance. Wow. I, I don't think they're going to get there. Uh, but it's not totally impossible either. What do you guys think? Um, I'd, I'd put it, uh, yeah, 30 is a good number. I mean, here's, here's the one thing that's nagging me is in 2015-16 when they made the playoffs, they won 44 games. So do I think they're a couple wins better than that team? Yeah, so I think maybe I'd put it at 40, 50 even, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't go higher than 50. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Jacob, how likely is it that the Pistons get to your your best case scenario for them? Yeah, my my best case scenario was a little higher. I mean, I said my best case scenario was forty eight wins. Um, I think you know that by chance. You know, the best case scenario I think sort of by definition has to be unlikely. So I'd say like five ten percent chance, if even that. But I mean, I I would agree that there's probably like a thirty percent, twenty five percent chance that they can get to forty five wins. I mean, that's that's not a crazy number by any means. Like that's not really that far above 500. And they kind of had a tumultuous season, even when they got to 44 that year in a much tougher Eastern conference. So I have a hard time saying that's the absolute best case scenario if just everything goes right. Yeah. And so there's some really interesting things about this season compared to last season. It's easy to forget because last season was such a disappointment for fans. It's easy to forget that they won 37 games, right? Mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget that they were a 500 team before Reggie Jackson came back from his injury. And there's just no question he was rushed back, right? He wasn't ready to play 25 minutes a night and start when he came back. So the roster to me, losing Marcus Morris hurts a little bit, but only because we don't know what Stanley Johnson is yet. Uh, but to me, the roster hasn't really taken a step back if you just take Reggie Jackson out of the picture. So to me, I got to think, there's something that's roughly a 41 team, 41-1 team in there without a healthy Reggie Jackson. And I think a healthy Reggie Jackson is not a great player, but he, he gives you some wins, right? He, he adds wins and he makes you better. So uh, I think I'm, pre I'm feeling pretty good about, you know, 45 wins is not crazy, right? It, it's possible. No, it's, but, definitely, it's definitely possible. Real quick, going back to your Tobias Harris and Reggie Jackson point, do you think there is a situation where maybe Stan just boosts Tobias's minutes this year and he, he almost plays that like KCP role of extra runs with both the first and second unit? That way he can kind of get the best of both worlds 
because he does definitely has better chemistry on the floor with Ish, but maybe when he's on the floor with the starters, he just has a different role in the offense. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, so let me ask this question. Uh, who Who's the backup small forward for this team? Who do we think that person is? Uh, if you're starting Stanley, it's got to be Tobias. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm yeah. thinking. So part of me thinks by necessity he's going to have to pick up minutes at the three. So you almost have to play him more than a season ago. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, I think my ideal situation is the three minutes are split between uh, Stanley and Tobias, and then those guys close together. So maybe you give Stanley the early hook, and then, like Jamie was saying, give Tobias extended run with the a more reserve-heavy unit. I mean, at, at last year he averaged 31 minutes a game. I remember in 2015-16, KCP was one of the top five minutes per game at like 37, 38, I think it was. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tobias gets up to that 36-37 mark with the way this roster's set up. Wow. I, that's that's a lot. And <laughs> I, I mean, I, it is a ton, but, I mean, KCP was playing damn near the entire game. And I think if you're starting Stanley, with the way the rotations kind of play out, I think it's going to be 35-36-37 for Tobias. Yeah, and another factor here is John Luer. I mean, if he plays the way he did a season ago, Tobias and Tolliver are going to eat up his minutes real quick, right? Like, he can't go out and shoot 28% from behind the three-point line and expect to play this season. But if he gets somewhere back around that 34-35% mark... Yeah, that that helps a ton. I think there's other interesting questions, right? Like, there's interesting questions about, well, what does that mean for Tobias? Where does he start if he starts, and where does he come Mm. off the bench if he comes off the bench? Um, So... I, I think... Still want to see Lure play some backup five. We didn't see a ton of that last year because Baines really solidified would you, himself in that role. But Bulban's just not going to be able to match up. Can we just stick right back to uh, just one second, going back yeah. to the three? Uh, if it's not Stanley and it's not Tobias playing that at any point, I was just like, who say, else is there? Is Reggie Bullock? Do they play Reggie I think it has to be Bullock. Like he's, he's bigger than Avery Bradley. Like they have more options at the two. Like I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. Like I'm. I still think there's something there with Reggie Bullock, and oh, you know yeah. maybe maybe it happens at the three. I kind of you know it might only be seven six minutes a game or something, but I think he's really the only other option we have at that point and you know it's hard to say stanley johnson is reliable at this point in time and jamie i want to say it's you who pointed this out in a previous episode he's kind of a feisty defender oh yeah we didn't necessarily expect yeah i was gonna say not to break nba twitter cardinal law but the eye test on bullock is amazing like when he's on the floor i can recall at least like six seven games i went to last year where the energy level dramatically rises when he's on the floor he just hustles every single play he never takes a possession off and i mean the the guys respond to that so i i think you've got to get bullock some minutes and stan in preseason said as much that the guys respond well to playing with bullock so i think absolutely bullock has got to be that the third string backup small forward basically is what we're talking about yeah, and I think there's there's minutes for him at the two as well, right? But I mean, behind Galloway, are there? Bradley. Are there really? <laughs> there are so well, many guys. Better than Bullock, though. I'd say Galloway's better I mean, than Bullock. Oh yeah, hands down. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm I gonna wouldn't say that's Galloway, totally I'm clear. Cut. I'm bullish on Galloway, though. I'll admit that. Okay. I, I liked him a lot in New Orleans. I thought he did a damn good job in New Orleans. So I'm hoping he can kind of play that role okay hey ben we found the one guy with that opinion (laughs) it's you know what it's only because i i foolishly signed up to write the galloway tune-up having like very little knowledge on him and then i just went into this rabbit hole of galloway highlights and came out like well yeah he's gonna be a really good piston and so now i'm like i'm just kool-aid brainwashed i i can't explain it no i I, whenever it comes to a Pistons player, regardless of whether I think they're going to be good or not, I'm rooting for them to exceed everyone's wildest expectations. So I'm not sold on Galloway right now, but I, I hope I'm wrong because having an, another useful guard who can maybe play both positions 
and, and maybe force Bullock into the rotation at the three and put some pressure on Stanley Johnson. Yep. I'm all for that. I think that's. A good I, I think that's exactly where it's gonna. I, I would be surprised if he plays any one. I think the only situation Galloway plays one is if Reggie isn't healthy as we hope he is. I think he's a great insurance policy for the point guard position. Um, I think he's going to play major majority of his time at the two, back up two, and he's just going to shoot. Like, he's, he's just going to be gunning nonstop. So some games you're going to love him, some games you're going to absolutely despise him. But he's got, he's got a quick trigger, which I, which I like. All right, can I put you guys on the spot a second here? Yeah. I, I don't know if we want to save this for later, but we, we bring up, you know, Jamie's a fan of a lot of these guys kind of further down the Pistons rotation. And then, <laughs> and I kind of am too. I mean, I think, uh, I think this team has pretty solid depth and you would have to say like depth is really one of their biggest strengths overall as a team. Right. I, but I was Van Gundy, this. but Van Gundy, you know, he's proven over his, you know, long career as an NBA coach, he plays nine guys no more. Who are those nine guys going to be? Like somebody is going to have somebody. I think more people are going to be just totally out of the rotation than anyone wants to admit. I, I think the I think Boban is out of the rotation more than anyone wants to admit. I, no, yeah, I, I'm very low on Boban. Very very low. I think he's going to be not to jump the gun on segments here, but I think he's going to be one of the bigger busts. Uh, this year, I mean, I, I see him playing well against a handful of teams. Like he'll play well against the teams he matches up well against: New Orleans, Oklahoma City, the Knicks. Like teams that have height, you're gonna play Boban big minutes. But other than that, I just don't see, I don't see him meshing well with everyone playing small and fast. I, I just don't, I don't see it working out. Sorry, <laughs> I feel like I just like put a puppy down. No, that's all right. No, I think it's cool. We can talk about this right now, Jacob. I think that's a fair question. The thing that's <laughs> – I could talk about this for a long time, so I'm going to preempt that by saying every time Van Gundy has made this decision previously, just about every time I've disagreed with who he's put out of the rotation, I'm afraid he's going to fall in love with Anthony Tolliver yep. based on memories and nostalgia. I'm afraid that he's not going to utilize Boban the thing about Boban is matchups work both ways, right? I think you can hide Boban enough against smaller interior players because he's just so frickin' long. Yeah. And, and he's just a beast around the rim. But certainly not always. Jamie, your point is well taken. There are going to be times where you can't play him, and you're going to have to play Lure. Now, my, my hope, though, is that there's 50 to 60 games where they can play him. That's what I'm hoping for. But I, my fear, though, is that you're absolutely right that he's going to be out of the rotation, that Lure's going to take a backseat to Tolliver. And, and there are things I like about Lure other than his shooting. I think he's a good rebounder. I think he's a solid team defender. And, and I'm just worried that, that Tolliver's going to be coasting on his reputation. The one thing about Stan Van Gundy that frustrates me more than anything else is just how stubborn yeah. he is. It's like when he, when he decides he likes a player and when he decides he likes those nine players, as you mentioned, Jacob, there's not a whole lot that a player can do to change his mind about that. He's pretty committed. Uh, but, yeah, I think Bobon's a good choice. I think Lure's probably a good choice. And I'm a little bit worried that Bullock might be another one of those guys because uh, I, th I, think, I think Van Gundy likes Galloway. So those would be the three guys I would target. What about you, Jacob? You're the one who asked the question. What, what are you seeing? Uh, I don't think Kennard is going to play at all. I don't think. Henry Ellenson is going to play at all. I, I agree with uh, both of Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that, too. Yeah, I mean, those are pretty easy to me. And then it's it's going to be either Tolliver or Boban or John Moore significantly diminished. So, and that leaves you with the starting five I mentioned, plus Stanley Johnson, Ish uh, Galloway, Ish Smith, and one other big, right? Tolliver? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably Tolliver. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be room to play anybody else, really. But but I don't know. I mean, with Boban, it's like, holy crap, man. What was the point of that signing if you're not even going to give this guy a chance now of all times? It's like, I totally agree, Jamie, that like he's a liability. Like, 
the theory of him might not be, or in practice, it might not be as good as the theory. It's never going to be as good as the numbers that he's put up in small minutes, but like, holy crap, Stan, at some point you actually have to try it and see for sure that it doesn't work. I mean, that's... All right, so let's follow this detour. Best case scenario, I was thinking about this today because I, I, when I was like making notes out for this pod, I was like, the Boban take is going to get some heat. And I need to think of like what's the best case scenario with him if he does bust. If the Pistons make the playoffs, I think he's going to be a savior going up against a smaller team like Boston. Like If we get matched up with Boston, I hope Boban gets major run because... As we've seen in the postseason, height can make a big difference um, and length. Mm. So I think he might. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be pulling twelve Al Horford threes out of the basket. <laughs> oh, I mean, if Al Horford hits twelve threes, that's wow. Nothing you can do about that. But I think you gotta hope that we make the postseason. And I think Boban could play a big role there because everything slows down, and that's where his I mean his height really has an advantage. So before we, we take the pessimistic train down to worst case scenario, here's the question I have about Boban, and it's about Boban and Andre together, right? Of the two of them, because we've been talking about defense and Boban maybe can't compete when it comes to smaller lineups, which one of those two is the worst team defender? Ooh. Especially against a small Ooh. lineup. Is that a fair That's a question? Because to me, I don't, I don't know what the answer. I is. mean, I'd say Boban is. I, I'm, I'm optimistic about Dre's defense this year. I think, I think Drummond's going to be a little more aggressive, especially defending the pick and roll this year. I, I still think his just basketball IQ on the def- defensive side isn't there yet. He's just still late on rotations, late on help. And he just doesn't have that like room protector mentality, but he has the athleticism to like kind of play aggressively on a pick and roll and keep guys outside the paint. So I hope he does that more. He showed flashes of it last year. So I'll say Drummond's the better defender, but that is a fair question. That is a very fair question. Yeah, and I totally agree with you about being aggressive on the pick and roll. I've harped about this on the podcast. I don't understand why Van Gundy won't scheme that way to me. Andre's best asset on defense is his ability to challenge yep. the pick and roll and be disruptive because he can move his feet and he yep. has quick hands. And that's the way the league is heading too. So, I mean, I don't see the downside of it. It's about denying penetration just as right. much as it is about, you know, well, being a traditional rim protector and padding your block stats. Like I, I'm totally with you there, but that's just never been Van Gundy's MO and, Frankly, like not a lot of coaches have even figured that out, so I don't know if it's even on him specifically. Fair. Yeah. Jacob, any thoughts about the the Bulban Drummond question before we move on? I mean, Drummond's physical tools are there, so that you you kind of take that as it comes. There, <laughs> he doesn't have the connective tissue right now to be a plus defender, but he he the, at least the theory of him works. I mean, with Bulban, it's it's going to be a joke if he gets put in pick and roll ever. And at least Drummond has a chance in circumstances like that. But I mean, a lot of teams just don't know what to do with Boban. So I think, yeah, in like a seven minute span where someone's never played against Boban before, he'll likely be better than Drummond in that situation. But overall it's, it's not sustainable. I mean, if, if Boban had to play at least even, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game, there's, there's no chance he'd do as well, even as Drummond does. Yeah, so I'm not going to argue the point because we could talk all night about this. But this is something I'm going to be watching because my my thesis is that Boban is a better team defender than he looks like. I think he looks super awkward at times, but I, I think he's able to deflect passes. I think he's able to block shots and just generally be disruptive. JQB might be right. It might be a function of the fact that teams never play against a guy like Beaumont. So when you see him for five minutes at a time, you don't know what to do. But this is something uh, I'm going to be watching. And uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm interested to find out, and I hope we get a chance to, to answer the question because that means Beaumont has had a chance to play a little bit. So uh, moving on to the worst case, right? So here comes the pessimism. Uh, Jacob, I'll start with you. Um, what's the worst case scenario for this team? What needs to happen for the worst case scenario to come to fruition? And who 
who's responsible if we get there in terms of players, coaching, take your pick. Starting with me on the pessimism, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so my worst case scenario is that the offense sucks, and I think it's a very achievable worst case scenario. Reggie Jackson was terrible last year. He really was not even that good in the in his good year in the second half. So he's kind of had, you know, maybe 35 good games for the Pistons. And, yeah, I mean, he, he tanked the season last year, so it's kind of strange to rely on him as, like, a guy who's going to do well this year. I mean, I, I've counted on him. I've been a believer in his talent for a long time, but I'm even starting to fall off that bandwagon a little bit. Ish Smith, you know, we were... 500 with him last year as the starter. I don't know if that's sustainable given that he is just one of the most horrific shooters in the league. And if teams would actually scheme against that, we'd be kind of SOL there. And then Tobias Harris, you know, he might be a third option, fourth option, decent in that way. He's a, he's a pretty good scorer, but he is in no way good enough to be any sort of serious NBA team's best scorer. And there is a very good chance in my opinion that he will be our best scorer. And that could be, you know, easily a bottom five offense. Well, that was depressing. <laughs> I mean, so, so I don't, I, I could talk about this again all night, but how much do you think Van Gundy's offensive scheme factors into a best case or, or a worst-case scenario happening in your view, Jacob? I don't think it's a huge factor. I mean, the league largely copied Van Gundy on a lot of what he did in Orlando. I mean, high pick-and-roll all the time, rolling big man, four shooters, you know, having the ball in the point guard's hands, sort of a one-pass offense. Like, it's it's pretty simple. So you can sort of say, hey, well, if it's a simple offense that works, then it's going to succeed or fail on the backs of the talent. And the talent might not be that good. The talent might not be that good. And that would be Van Gundy's fault too, because he's sort of the GM. But setting that aside, I mean, maybe you can blame the lack of creativity then and say, well, with this talent, we need a more creative system, more misdirections. I know Ben has argued for a motion offense based around Tobias. But I think I, I would lean more towards talent in that regard. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with Van Gundy's system necessarily. But it's it's definitely underwhelming, especially in the face of a Reggie Jackson that is not that good of a player. I hear all of that. Jamie, give us your, your worst pessimism. How bad could this season get if things go? Oh, out? man. I think it could. we could end up with a 32-33 a win team. Uh, I... I'm going to start with SVG to kind of go off what Jacob was talking about. I, I agree with what Jacob said. I don't think necessarily it's his offensive or defensive scheme. I think what his downfall has been is um, player development. And I think back to two years ago when the team was heading into a season where they would eventually make the playoffs, um, everyone kind of knew that these were the building blocks and if this team was going to get better over the years, it was going to be because these young guys all got better together. Um, and I'd say we're in year three now, year four now, and I, I don't think anyone's taken that big of a leap. Um, obviously, Reggie being not healthy last year definitely hurts that. Um, but I, I think to be pessimistic, I don't know if he'll ever – go back to the Reggie he was in 2015-16. Um, I worry about him losing that explosiveness because that was so key to his game. Uh, it looks like he has it back, but I, I worry about him sustaining it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like I don't know if he can keep it for 82 games and for you know all those weeks where there's three games or four games in a week. Um, hell, even he's already talked to the papers about the new arena's temperature being an issue for him um, because of his... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, because of his breathing. Um, you know, you'll notice if on the bench he has to wear gloves. I, I forget what the condition is. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he has a breathing thing. And I guess it's uh, in all the NBA arenas that share share with a hockey team, it's like 11 degrees cooler, and it's an issue for him. 
Um, so I think I think Vince Ellis wrote something in the Detroit News about how he's already mentioned concerns with that. So I worry about Reggie getting back to where he was. I worry about Drummond never taking that step and, and being the player we fear him to be, um, to put it negatively. And, uh, and, you know, being stuck with Bradley on a one-year contract, he could, he could see everything fall apart around him and, and easily bolt. Uh, and then we're back to, back to square one with this franchise. With a with a coach and a GM whose contract is up, I believe after next year. So, it could be, it could be a very dark times ahead for this franchise. Yeah, it's certainly a make or break season for lots of individual pieces, and I think for the franchise as a whole. And that's an interesting question, right? Like, I mean, so Stanley Johnson kind of a make or break year. Reggie Jackson, in many ways, a really important year for him. Andre Drummond. Yes, I think so. And then I think Stan Van Gundy, certainly. I mean, if they don't make the playoffs this year, it's hard to see a scenario in which his contract is renewed after his fifth season, at least in my opinion. Um, You know, so for me, I'm a little more optimistic about the worst-case scenario, and I'll say why. I think um, Stan Van Gundy's willingness to shut Reggie Jackson down last season gives me a little bit of hope. I, I think he waited far too long after rushing into a Reggie Jackson who wasn't ready. But I I do respect the fact that he realized that uh, his point guard just wasn't where he needed him to be, and they could use health as sort of an excuse. Uh, And he shut him down, and, you know, the team wasn't great after Reggie got shut down, obviously. I think the season was pretty much too far gone at that point. But I think you have Ish Smith, and then to your point earlier, Jamie, you probably have a third point guard that you've got more point, more confidence in than you had a year ago. So for me, their worst-case scenario is, is essentially a repeat of last season. They're a 36-37 win team that is, is pretty much directionless. You know, you mentioned Avery Bradley being able to, to take off and you're left without a shooting guard and all of those other things. Um, but I think the, the interesting question here is how likely do we think this is? Uh, again, I'm a little more optimistic than I think you guys are, but how likely is it that we see this 32, 35, 37 win team that we basically saw a season ago? Um, I'd put it at, to go off the percentages earlier, 60%. Ooh, um, okay. <laughs> wow. Hey. It, There's some pessimism there. What's the saying? Uh Fear the worst, hope for the best, uh, or no plan? Plan yeah. for the worst. Sixty percent. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Sixty percent. Sixty percent chance of thirty-two wins and thirty percent chance of yeah, forty-five that's wins. Not. So there's like no no no. I'm a, I'm a binary guy. Um, I will add that if I predict that if it looks like this team's heading for that thirty-five, thirty-four uh, win season by January. I bet they move Tobias and I or Drummond, and I, I think they hit reset uh, a lot quicker than um, a lot most people would imagine. Yeah, and, and I think in order for them to really, really struggle, there's multiple things that have to happen. Just like there's multiple things that have to happen for them to get to 45, 47 wins or whatever. I think. Van Gundy has to just get really stubborn and insist on feeding Drummond in the post consistently. If they do that, I think their offense is really going to struggle. In addition to just being inefficient, and Steve Henson sort of wrote the the magnum opus on this, um, in addition to just being terribly inefficient, I think it's demoralizing when you're just throwing the ball into Drummond and he's just lobbing up half-hearted baby hooks from, from it's, eight feet away. It's so depressing to uh, be at the, the well at the palace when that was happening. Like you could just collectively hear everyone hold their breath and say, "Oh God, why is this happening?" Yeah, exactly. I, I have to hope that Van Gundy's willing to move on from that. And, and I think if he is, there's this gets super technical and dorky, but I think there's a point or two to be gained per 100 possessions by just not giving Drummond the ball so much. And maybe that's why I'm a little more optimistic about the offense than, than some of the other folks are. Good Lord, I why is that a thing with every single <laughs> big man in the league that they like need to think they think that they're this amazing post up player who needs touches to be like engaged defensively? Like, have they like are they just stupid? Like, 
do they not pay any attention to the fact that they're missing all these shots? See, I wish, I wish I could have been a fly in the wall in Stan Van Gundy's first season with the Pistons because to me, that was when things changed for Andre Drummond. To me, it looked like he was comfortable being sort of second banana to, to Greg Monroe in the post and just being the cleanup guy who, who yeah. dunked a lot. Yeah, no, I... Right? <laughs> I'm just like, trying to think. I'm just trying to. I just. To I just couldn't stop laughing thinking about like how that used to be like our starting front court, and like we That's thought true. that was a good idea. No, I, I totally agree with you, Ben. I think he's not someone uh, who wants to be the guy of a franchise. I think it makes him uncomfortable, and I think when he was that second, second guy to to Monroe, he had like a little more freedom and uh, like. He flew under the radar where he could just clean up and dunk, and, and he wasn't getting asked all the questions after the game and taking a lot of heat from bloggers like us. So I, I definitely think you, you have a point there. Well, and I think, too, like the, there, there was a time when the most efficient look was an Andre Drummond mm-hmm. putback, right? Like the most efficient look was a missed shot and Drummond just gobbling up all the rebounds. But to me, for them to get to this worst-case scenario – Drummond as a feature in the post has to happen a lot. I'm really hoping Van Gundy has passed that. I think um, Reggie Jackson, right? he's key to this worst-case scenario happening. If he can't give us more than 26, 27 minutes a night of 100%, then I think there's, there, there's some problems, and that can hurt. And then I think for me, this is almost the biggest question for me, is what the heck is Stanley Johnson going to be? If he's not a rotation-caliber small forward, then I think the Pistons are in some trouble. So to me, he would be kind of that third thing that if that doesn't go well, this this could. Be I think ugly. that almost. I I agree, and I think that's why if I'm Stan Van Gundy, I'd rather start him right out the gate, because I'd rather know sooner than later what the what the ceiling is on like the young chip you have in your uh, in your pocket. Like if you if you got to figure something out with him, I'd rather know sooner. Yeah, he doesn't have to do very much to be a decent player, and that's why I continue to be on his island. Yeah, I mean, I've been a fan too. I I think last year obviously was a real struggle, but I I I, think he's got really nice tools. And I think you're right. He he has to take smart shots, and he has to make smart decisions off the dribble offensively. If he does those two things. I think his defensive presence makes him makes him. Valuable. He's just got to be comfortable with his spots. I feel like last year, offensively, he tried to get to new spots and expand his game. If you if you played basketball, you just you have comfortable spots on the floor. For him, it's the corner three. It's a mid range pull up. Like stick with that. You don't need to be working on going to your left like every time you you get the ball like just just play to your strengths and i think he'll be successful if he is if he does that yeah and the other thing i miss about so his first preseason and this goes back to when the preseason was was longer they were experimenting with him at backup point guard i actually didn't hate it obviously this is just preseason right like his ball handling really really impressed me and that sort of disappeared and I, you know, I'm not one to talk about intangibles a ton, but I can't shake the fact that with him it's a little bit of confidence. It has to do with the fact that Van Gundy is a tough love kind of coach, to borrow Jacob's words, and he doesn't respond to that. Um, and I'm kind of hoping he figures some of that out, not necessarily to become like a secondary ball handler, but but just so he doesn't look lost, like so he doesn't take three dribbles and then get, you know, jump in the air and then not to do with the basketball. You know what I mean? Like th- those are the things that he's capable of doing better. And, and, he, and, and I, I attributed a lot of those possessions where he took three dribbles and looked lost. It's, it looked like a guy who knew he was on a short leash. Like, he couldn't screw up this yeah. possession. I think he needs to get past that and, and just accept, like, this is my role in the offense, and I'm just going to live with whatever happens on this possession and move on. He's got to have that short-term memory. Yeah, well, and sure. it's that's what's so hard about like being a coach and also managing like the entire development system, prospect pipeline, like managerial decisions of a team. It's like I know Van Gundy defers to Bauer a lot, but it's like we brought up player development as a weakness, and I I totally agree with that. But like you just can't develop guys when you 
play nine guys and then immediately block all of your draft picks with free yeah. agent signings. Like you draft Ellenson, you block him with Lore, you draft Kennard, you block him with Galloway. And then with, with Stanley Johnson, it's like you can't, whatever skills you are trying to have him develop, he can't develop them playing scared in 12 minutes a game, you know, like little spurts where there's, you know, nobody else who's even decent offensively on the floor. It's like, yeah, like his own GM decisions are completely handicapping his his coaching and his ability to develop his players, which is kind of the only thing that can save him at this point in the long term. I almost feel bad for, I mean, I won't even say almost, I do feel bad for Ellenson because you got Stan at training camp saying the most consistent player in training camp was Henry Ellenson. And I'm like, dude, that's got to suck because you read that compliment and then you know, like, I'm not seeing the floor at all. <laughs> like, there's... That's that's such a classic white guy <laughs> thing to say, though. About, I mean, don't even read too much into that. Like, Ellenson is terrible. Like, don't No, don't I, I, think, I think he could be less than terrible, but I feel like we're just too deep at the forward position right now. Like like you were saying, like he doesn't even have a shot if he did play well because Stan's already decided on who his guys are and Ellenson just doesn't fit in the mold. All right, so we've we've had a fair dose of pessimism. Let's let's take one more one more shot of pessimism before we turn this bad boy around. Pour it up. Uh, biggest bust. Biggest bust. Jamie, this is your idea, so I'm going to start with you. Who do you predict or think is going to be the biggest bust? Uh, I've already, I already had my. Yeah, I, I still am on uh, Team Boban being the bust. Um, I just don't think his game translates well to the way every other NBA franchise is moving. I like I said before, I think you use him. Uh, Versus teams like New Orleans, the Knicks, um, who else did I say? Maybe Sacramento. Um, teams that have some length. Um, but other than that, I just or o- Oklahoma City. Um, but other than that, I just I don't think he helps you on the floor as much as he hurts you. Um, yeah. So right. I now, don't understand that though, because like, didn't you didn't you talk about like how he's going to destroy small lineups in the playoffs or something? But he can only play. But that's because in the playoffs, the the pace of play slows down. I think if you get into a situation with a smaller team where they're running and gunning, then he's a liability. But if you're in the Eastern Conference playoffs where the pace of play slows significantly and everyone's running a half court offense, then I think Boban can help you. If the Pistons can dictate the pace of play better with a smaller team, Boban has a shot. I just, I haven't seen the Pistons do a good job of that. Normally they're responding to the pace as opposed to setting it. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. It's it's a scorcher, guys. Avery Bradley. Oh, I did not see that coming. Well, I mean, it's kind of relative to expectations, right? Like, can you imagine if he's not better than KCP? Like, that could totally happen. He could shoot 32% and leave or command, you know, $23 million a year, and we could have given up our basically our two best rotation players. I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying this just off watching his highlights against the Bucks in the preseason. He's better than KCP. I mean, I, I agree with you, but I, I I, mean, he's going to have to be. That's all I'll say. He's going to have to be a whole lot better. Wow. Yeah, so I view Avery Bradley as basically a push on defense. Um, I think his reputation exceeds KCP, but I think KCP just wasn't as well-known nationally. And, and he's a significantly better shooter. Uh, he might be better off the dribble, but I, I don't feel super confident saying that. Yeah. Right. He's like a marginally more accurate three-point is... shooter who doesn't take nearly as many and is like not really all that much better off the dribble or coming off screens at all. Like I don't really see the huge upgrade there. Like he'll his his three-point percentage will be better. Yeah, but I I don't think he's gonna have like some big effect on the can offense. Can we can we pause real quick? I got to go get my oven mitts to handle this take that uh Jacob is putting out on the pod. 
<laughs> I mean, it's not really that hot of a take, right? It's basically just saying, like, that wasn't a very good trade if Bradley isn't awesome. Fair. Like, if he isn't awesome, he's going right. to be the bust. Like, that's no, it's no, not that I, hot I, I'm, I'm teasing, but... Have you seen Lakers Twitter reaction to KCP preseason? Because it is it is sweet relief. Like it makes me feel so less crazy. Um because they are they are already <laughs> so down on him. So down on him. And it's like all of the things that the not pay KCP movement was shouting about for months. So it's like it was like a dose of reality like oh maybe Maybe it's a good thing he left. I, I, it, man, it's crazy. Yeah, so I guess, Jacob, your point is relative to expectations, right? So I, I think that's the question is, what are your expectations for Bradley? And depending on what your expectations are, maybe he becomes a pretty significant bust. My expectations are, I think, a lot lower than other people's. I see him as a a really good defender equivalent to KCP on defense and uh, a better shooter. And I see him as much more of an incremental upgrade. I also can't help but wonder if Van Gundy isn't super worried about signing him long-term and that he's just sort of posturing by saying they definitely will, because I, I think you're right, Jacob. I don't think he's a huge upgrade. I think he's a small upgrade. I don't think it makes a huge impact on the offense, but I think it makes no- a noticeable impact. Um, the thing about Bradley that concerns yeah. me is durability more than anything. KCP, I mean, dude never missed a game, played mega minutes like you talked about, Jamie. That has not been the case for Bradley. He plays a lot of minutes when he plays, but he's he's never played a full season. So I, I think I'm, I'm on board with that. part. I'll also throw in, just as an aside a second, that Lakers fans have not been the best at evaluating talent <laughs> lately. I mean, lately. that's fair. That's very fair. I, Since Magic Johnson. <laughs> I'm, I'm with both of you guys. I think he's, he's – I'm not expecting Bradley to be a savior. I think he's an incremental upgrade. I think the best thing about him uh, – about getting him was the price we got him for. It was a steal, in my opinion. Um, and also getting his bird rights is, is pretty huge to give the franchise some flexibility moving forward so that if we do have a best-case scenario or at least like a very positive season, um, we're in the best position to resign him. Of course, there's like a lot of financial stuff we got to figure out. I think moving Tobias or shedding another big contract to make way for signing him, but at least having that flexibility is a positive for this organization moving forward. Yeah, I don't so think that's get... untrue at all. Ben, who's your bust? That's a hot take. My biggest bust, Stan Van Gundy. I, yes, coach. Ben. Best bust of the night right there. <laughs> yeah, he's. I've talked a lot about this, so I'm not going to rehash it all. I think the Pistons are probably top three easiest teams to defend in the NBA. Jacob, I think your comments about questioning the talent level on offense are all spot on. And I just not have not seen much creativity. Uh, I, I would really love to see a, a second unit that functions around an Ish Smith and Tobias Harris motion offense because I, I would love to see two totally distinct looks. I think that would really help uh, in terms of being less predictable. But I'm not expecting it. Uh, I'm also expecting Van Gundy to make really odd decisions about who the odd man out is in the rotation. Uh, because he's he's been doing that really since he's been the Pistons coach. And, and then the points earlier about Stan Van Gundy, the GM, and Stan Van Gundy, the coach, are sort of handcuffing each other, uh, I think is also fair. And, and I don't I don't see him being super creative about finding ways to get some of these young guys' minutes because he keeps blocking them with basically mediocre journeymen who, who don't really do anything to move the needle long term. So Stan Van Gundy, the coach, I don't want it to be true, uh, but I'm afraid he's going to be the best. I so agree with this. I'm, I'm mad I didn't think of that. That is such a good bust. <laughs> All right, so let, let's, close, um, let, let's close on our, our most important players for this season. We've, we've talked around this, so maybe we don't need to unpack it in too much depth. But give me your, your two or three most important players for the Pistons this season. 
Jackson, Drummond, Stanley Johnson. Pretty clear cut to me. Yep, that's fair. Jamie, what about uh, you? I'm going to go Jackson, Drummond, um, man, yeah, Stanley Johnson. I, I, will, I would put Stanley Johnson as 3A, Tobias Harris as 3B. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to me. Stanley Johnson is one. <laughs> to me, like, and really it's not just about Stanley Johnson, yeah. it's about small forward, and that's a bit of a cop-out, I realize, because I said players. But to me, really, small forward is the the most important position because it's the most unknown position, right? We know what a healthy Reggie Jackson is capable of. We know what a dialed-in Andre Drummond is capable of. We have no idea what Tobias Harris, the the full-time small forward, is like, and we, we really don't know what Stanley Johnson is. So to me, it, it's definitely Stanley Johnson, number one. It's Reggie Jackson, uh, number two. And I'm going to go with Drummond, number three, even though I'm higher on Drummond than I think a lot of people are. There's still a lot he has to do to prove that he's, he's the max contract guy that uh, he's getting paid to be. Actually, I'll say Bradley is our most important player because he's awesome and he's totally not going to be a bust. I'll walk <laughs> that back because I feel like I'm going to get roasted for that one. It was a good. Hey, it was a good do, bust take. I'm not. I'm not even mad at it. Yeah. But can we? I'll so, just point so out that our three most important players consensus goes are like a third-year guy who's been completely awful in his career. Uh, like a point guard who sweats like crazy but wants it to be hotter in the arena for some reason. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, how does he want to be sweatier? I don't understand that. And then Andre Drummond, who no one seems to like anymore. Like, that's that's kind of a... Uns- that, that top three most important makes me a little uneasy. Like, I'm not that... I mean, you guys know I'm not that pessimistic about the Pistons, but... Man, those three guys make me a little No, that's I mean right that's now. exactly why I'm on I'm I probably lean on team pessimism more than team optimism. Yeah. I I will tell you though. So, when I was in college, we played at uh U of M No, U of M Dearborn. And they shared a hockey arena and a basketball arena. And our our locker rooms were actually um, we, we played right after hockey practice had concluded and it was shared locker rooms. It was oh, wow. about 40 degrees in there and, and the arena was freezing cold. And like, I look, I've never been diagnosed with anything weird, but for me, when I, I'm a runner, if it's below 40 degrees, I struggle with breathing. Uh, I don't have asthma and all that kind of stuff. So it, it sounds nuts, but, but maybe there's something there and maybe Reggie's not totally crazy but I, I will give you the fact that he's no I, to- I totally think there's something there I mean he's on the bike behind the bench every time he's off the court trying to stay warm um I thought it was interesting from a from a gambling perspective just you know moving forward I'm gonna have to research all the hockey NBA arenas and just you know allocate funds accordingly we'll, we'll put it that way Gotcha. All right, so let's let's close with something that has nothing to do with X and, X's and O's. Uh, let's talk about Little Caesars Arena. And Jamie, I'm going to lean on you for this. Yes. You're going to be there opening night. Uh, tell the people about this unique experience that you're going to have. Tell the people where they can find you on social media to kind of follow along uh, as you experience Little Caesars for the the very first time. Along with yeah, going to Little Caesars for opening show. night with my seven-month-old son uh, and my dad. So we got three generations of Delanceys in the house, which is going to be awesome, but I'm also slightly terrified about taking a seven-month-old to an NBA game. Uh, Any dads out there who have done this, please get at me on Twitter, uh, at Jamie underscore Delancey. I will be nervously panic-tweeting about it the entire time. Uh, while holding my child because that's what good dads do. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. I know, Jacob, you've been uh, for the Red Wings. Uh, give me what's, what's your kind of like elevator pitch on the arena? What were your first impressions? It is sleek, man. Like the, the board is awesome. It's the thing that stuck out to me the most is like how amazing the lighting in this place was. Like it was clean. It's, smelled good like you could see everywhere in the arena like the board is amazing and 
as soon as you walk in, like it's, it's an experience. Like it's nothing like the palace. It's nothing like the Joe Louis arena. Like you can go and get some like gelato and go and sit down. It's pretty amazing, man. You can get gelato. There's like a downtown market kind of thing in there. You got to check that. What's, um, all right. I was going to ask this to Pistons Twitter, but since you're on the line, I want your take. What's the best route to get there? Freeway wise. I don't know. I'm sorry. You can ask our uh, a guy that you can ask who is – you can reach out to him on Twitter. Um, he's also prominently featured inside the arena itself is our future senator, <laughs> oh, Mr. Kid no. Rock. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. That, oh, that was man, the hottest take really of the like, night, I think. Took all the air out of my balloon right there. It's satire, you know. No one would actually elect like no one would actually elect like an extremely stupid no, celebrity. No, never, never. That would right? never happen. Um, <laughs> no, I'm here's top three things I'm excited for. One, to see that like downtown market kind of open concourse. I, a lot of people I've talked to who went there for Wings games have said that's really, really awesome. Uh, two, super excited to go to the store and get some of that new Nike gear. Uh, and see it in person. I've been a little hesitant to pull the trigger just on shopping online, so I want to want to get in there, see what these new jerseys are all about. I'll probably have to cop one for the little guy and one for myself. Um, I still haven't decided which player I would buy if I was going to get a new jersey, so open to suggestions on that. Uh, and then third, the concessions. I mean, the Palace was notorious for those Hungry Howie pizzas, we're going to Little C's. I, I want to see what the pizza game is all about there. So I'm, I'm very excited to check that out. I've heard very yeah, good yeah. things about Tony's, the place right by the main Woodward Street. That's a good tip. So you can, you can hop. I think you can hop right off the Lodge Freeway okay. and just park in those nice little was, apartments or whatever. At least that's yeah, what and, I did. I mean, there's certainly going to be – an improvement in terms of pre and post game entertainment, right? I mean, at the palace, it was essentially the post across the street and whatever you could get in the palace. So I think, uh, some shenanigans might be, might be involved. Oh yeah. Post game festivities. No, it's, it's great, man. Like it, it's good to be back. Like I, it was, it's the right move. I was a little skeptical, but it looks pretty nice, man. And, and I'm excited too. Cause I mean, I know Vince Ellis on Twitter, we mentioned him before he had, some kind of skeptical takes about how it didn't really look like a home for the Pistons. So I'm really excited to see what they do with the place before the Pistons first yeah. actual game. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Vince, who's a fantastic follow and loves to interact with people, especially those hot takes. Except for so his, except for his love of Alabama, Alabama football. That can, that can get all the way out of here. Put that out there. <laughs> yeah, you have to mute him on Saturdays, but but otherwise, solid follow. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't listen to this and block me. Well, gentlemen, this has been a blast. Uh, 24 hours away, 24 oh, hours from now. We one, one quick note, the, so. the Cavs just beat Boston, 102-99, and yes, the Celtics covered 3.5. So. Yeah, and, and interestingly, I have this on in the background. Kyrie Irving had an, a chance to Airballed tie it. the game at the Airballed the three. Airballed the three. I'm just I'm over LeBron. So ecstatic. Before we go, a couple a couple gambling things, right? Like I'm not a big gambler. I kind of want to get into it. What's what's your best over under oh. bet for this year? Like what? Well, what I mean, after bet? the fight today, um, the Bulls under. If you can still get on it, just you put your life savings into it. I think it was twenty two. Uh, last I checked, and I don't know if you guys saw the the news about the fight um, from ex Pistons beat yeah. writer Vinny Vinny Goodwill, but yeah, Miratic is out for the <laughs> for the foreseeable future. What? Yeah, no, Bobby Portis punched him There's in the a face, face, and they they the they announced it's a face fracture oh and a concussion. They said he's out indefinitely. Um, so under. Yeah, this was yeah. apparently Goodwill had tweeted that this has been brewing for three years. But anyway, get on, uh, I would wow. say, the Bulls under, if you can still get it. The Nuggets under, uh, I like a lot. They're putting it at 45, I think was last I checked. 
they won 39, I think, 40 games last year. So Vegas. Yeah, but they were also lighting themselves on fire early in the year. I don't know what the. the I'll just say it. I don't know what the fuck their rotation right, was. Right, but at I the think expecting year. everyone's really high on the Nuggets, and for good reason. Jokic is, you know, a real deal. But to take a five-game jump in the West like that, I just, I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, so I like that under as well. I like the Minnesota over. Uh, I like the Clippers under, and I like the Nets over. Those are those are my picks right there. I don't the think Nets the Nets are as bad as people say. Say uh, I think it was twenty seven or twenty eight and a half uh, last I checked. I could see them getting in at twenty nine thirty wins, maybe thirty one wins. I think they have a good scrappy roster. So don't sleep on the Nets. All right. I actually did my first over under bet this year, and uh, it's looking a lot better actually. I. I was on it before. I had Boston under for fifty-four. Wow, that is a so that's welcome. That nice. is a really, really great introduction to NBA gambling. So let's <laughs> let's get yeah. those jerseys going. Well, on that note, uh, we do not necessarily <laughs> endorse gambling by any stretch. But uh, no, I'm just kidding around. Uh, that's super interesting conversation, guys. It's a, been a blast talking to you. Uh, I think we can go out with Kyrie Irving airballing a three and be and be content with that. So, uh, gentlemen, it's been good talking to you. Tomorrow night, uh, Little Caesars Arena, Pistons home opener and season opener. Uh, looking forward to connecting with you guys on the blog all season long. Uh, join us on NBA Twitter, Pistons Twitter, uh, and DetroitBadBoys.com. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll have you back soon, uh, and we can revisit maybe some of these over-unders and and hot takes about April looking forward to it excited for tomorrow night let's get this going let's let's change the the pessimism into some optimism i hear it agreed have a good night guys all right thanks for coming on guys and, and we'll see you guys soon bye-bye